In our 2019 college football predictions continue with the Nebraska Cornhuskers, a team that I'm pretty high on. If you follow the channel this offseason, you know I think Nebraska has a real chance to win the Big Ten West. I love this Nebraska team offensively. I think they are the team to win in their division of the Big Ten. How about a signature game here? I mean, this is we're still kind of waiting for that real win that indicates, all right, Nebraska is, is firmly on the way to being back. Uh, I've got Nebraska winning against Wisconsin at home. I came into this saying that the reason they were picked to win the West by most people is because they have confidence in Scott Frost. I didn't think they were ready. I thought they were overrated, if you will. Now that I've watched them practice, I think that the polls are accurate. I do think that they're in the thick of it in the West. But my opinion has totally changed. They're further along than, than I anticipated. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. I have learned a lesson from all the Husker realists out there regarding preseason hype and vow to never fall for it again. Now on to the Sweet 16 with Oiberg this year. Uh, by the way, I wrote this hot take before the UC Riverside game. Mm. Uh, I'm also with Mac. Yes, Redcasters, I was watching the UC Riverside game as well with uh, Zach and Slater out there dominating at the low post. That, that, that was that, a- that's Bayside. Oh, UC Bayside. Oh, ah, sorry. Yes. Never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Boomer, back to you. Uh, Boomer, would you like to jump on this, please? Well, yeah, again, I, too, watched the uh, Nebraska ball versus uh, UC Riverside. And, you know, I'm glad Doc is back, but I didn't really want to see the same results again. But uh, anyway, let's, let's all move forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've been to Riverside, California before. It, it's, it's not a spectacular place, let me tell you. So those guys probably really wanted to get out and uh, prove something to the the Cornhuskers. And, um, well, you know, we said that it's going to be a challenging basketball season. Maybe some ups, maybe some downs, some games where they're going to look really good and some other games that they're going to look really poor. And um, the first game of the year, they looked really poor. But Honky, um, speaking about poor performances you know, we had our rapid reaction on the Purdue loss, a Purdue, Purdue loss, excuse me, and uh, it hasn't gotten any better. <laughs> they still lost, uh, even though it's three days later. But uh, we may have some more answers. So I, it sounds like we may do an all mailbag Redcast, right? Yeah, I don't know if we have all the answers, but we definitely have plenty of questions. And, and Redcasters, we thank you guys all for what you've sent in. You know, I, I think in general, we've all had a couple of days now to kind of sit here and reflect on the last couple of weeks and we're in a bye week mm-hmm. the last time we were in a bye week coming off of the minnesota game that was a a rough bye week and we were kind of hoping we'd get things righted against indiana at home and purdue on the road and then we'd get into this bye week and seems we'd have, reasonable we yep. have some positivity going and whew, it's rough out there it's rough out there on social media boomer you're our, our social media expert following all things twitter right now and uh what are you seeing you ever seen Mad Max or any of those movies? It's something akin to that, I think, is how I would explain Husker Twitter at this point. Lots of, you know, people in Mohawks just riding around in circles, you know, savaging one another. It, it, it's been a rough couple of weeks here in Husker land. So, yeah, hopefully we can all just take this by a week, kind of regroup, you know, mobilize and uh, just take some time. We'll answer some questions on this show and let's see if we can get things back on a positive finish to the season. Yeah, you know, Boomer... There's been a lot of negativity out there, obviously, but I'm always amazed with Nebraska fans, uh, the ones that actually take the time 
to watch a game a second or third time and really start to break down some film. And we, we, we're seeing ex-players do this too. Uh, we have a lot of Twitter friends like Chaz and SoCal who do a great job on this type of stuff. And there's, I mean, uh, the amount of uh, research and and time and effort that Nebraska fans put into understanding what our offensive defensive schemes are and how we failed and all this type of stuff um, in the media too. Sam McEwen does a great job on this. It's just it's sometimes extraordinary how much Nebraska fans care uh, to put that much time into breaking down what went wrong. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely something that I think really illustrates what our fan base is all about. We do care. You know, I don't recall you know seeing Purdue fans breaking down you know footage after after losses or anything like that, or Indiana fan you know really going in depth in any of this. Great, now their AD is going to be on us again, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess one of the just hallmarks of this program, we do have a fan base that cares even when times aren't great, and they're they're not great. Uh, we can't put a yeah. silver lining on it or total rainbows and unicorns. It's it's not great times for us, but we're still putting the time in, investing, trying to see where we, what we can understand and hoping to get answers where we can't. Let's open up the mailbag with that thought that uh, Nebraska fans are, are so committed to this program that we will not let it um, fall by the wayside and, and we're going to keep propping it up until the program turns that corner. So Honky, let's take it away. Let's start the Plowboys Barbecue and a mailbag tonight with a comment from Jeremy Brandt, a loyal listener. Uh, he emailed us on the Plowboys Barbecue Inbox, said, love the show. I know these are dark times. He goes, I live in Minnesota, and it's unbearable being surrounded by Gopher fans right now. But can we all just take a deep breath and realize it's very early in the Frost era? I'm kind of embarrassed by Husker Nation on social media right now. We are not Gopher fans who are all always doom and gloom. We are Husker Nation. We ride and die with our team. So, Again, not a question, but I think that's kind of a good way to get this started. It's it's in response to everything we just talked about for the opening minutes of the show. You know, look, this is early in the frost era. We have to pinch ourselves and remind ourselves that sometimes. So, Jeremy, I think that's a good uh, point to make there and, and a good frame of mind to have as we move forward here. So let's take the first question. And this comes from the keg. And this is also from the Plowboys Barbecue Inbox. And the keg asks, what one word do you think best describes this season? For me, it's identity, or lack thereof. Mac, uh, what's the one word that best describes this season to you so far? Oh, I would say fragility. (laughs) I would say that we seem to be a team that hasn't showed a ton of resilience this year, despite the level of talent or execution or what goes right, what goes wrong. It just seems like we need a lot to go right to win. Um, and that is a very disappointing word to choose for this team. I, w- I was hoping to pick something like, uh, resiliency or, or fire or whatever, but it's, uh, I find it to be, fr- I find this to be fragile. Fragile, huh? Fragile. Fragile. Dave, how about you? What's the word that, that comes to your mind? I'll go with stunned. Um, <laughs> just because, I mean, it's a, it's the stunning, outcome of the season so far and it's not over um maybe we'll be stunned uh, on the on the positive side here before it's all said and done um but it's not just the red cast it's not just the fan base that had these expectations it's not just the local media but the national media right uh and that that is where it's really stunning that that many people uh have pegged the huskers wrong and i think that it gives me the indication that it's not just one thing here it's not oh the talent or it's just the coaching 
or that maybe they're fragile, whatever. There's it's so many little things that have added up to this really surprising outcome. And, and it's a weird thing. If you think about it, guys, a couple plays, one in each of the Colorado, Indiana, and Purdue games, and we could be looking at 7-2 and two or some very respectable record, but we're pretty much the same team. I mean, it, it's really, it illustrates how important a W is. All the other stats end up not really mattering because if you change one play in each one of those games, we probably win all three. But at the end of the day, we didn't do it. And it's the same team. They're four and five, and it's a stunning outcome. Boomer. I would use uh, incongruity. <laughs> of course you would. Uh, naturally. Thanks, Regent Scholar. We've never put together a game or where everything has kind of worked together. We've never seen all three phases of the game in harmony. We've never had special teams, defense, offense, playing the game. We've seen flashes of them all be able to play. You know, the offense has had quarters or halves where they look good and then fallen apart in another half. We've had the defense look good. Like last week against Purdue, you know, they started great and looked good. And then by the second half, we let a third-string quarterback go six for six and a game-winning drive against us. Uh, special teams were great that game. Other weeks, they've been kicking balls out of bounds. And, you know, we're, we're short kickers and can't make field goals. It's just so much has just not ever meshed together this season. And that's been the challenging, inexplicable part. And, and, and as a result of that, we're just kind of that team where, you know, a couple plays here and there don't go our way and we lose games we could win and you know that's just what these kind of teams do there's games that we've won where one or two plays went our way and we could have lost I mean yeah we could have won three games there's two games that you know Illinois and uh you know Northwestern two plays go against us and we're two and seven at this point that's just what we are today uh for me I'm going to use the word finish and I think that we just have lacked the ability and I think when we talk about culture and all that we have to learn how to finish uh, to your point, Dave, you know, could we be seven and two right now? Well, we jumped out to a collective 41 to three lead in three of our losses. We were up 17 nothing on Colorado. We were up 14 to three on Indiana. We were up 10 nothing on Purdue. We talked ad nauseum during the Purdue, uh, rapid reaction about how that could have been 21 nothing or even higher, to be honest. We don't know how to finish. Even the Minnesota loss, which is right now we look at it as a blowout. That's what it was. But the first half of that game, where it was a 14 nothing halftime, we spent more time on their side of the field than they spent on ours. But we couldn't finish. We could get down to the three-yard line, but we'd have a penalty that would move it back. We couldn't finish drives and finish. And the nice thing about finish is finish is different than talent. When someone says you're not doing well because you don't have talent, that could be a two, three, four-year rebuild. If we have enough talent right now to be getting up on teams 41-3, to but we need to learn how to finish, that becomes a culture thing. And that is something that, quite honest, I think we can fix even in these last three games. I really do. I believe it's something that is fixable, but that's something to me that's been apparent. We just haven't finished a lot of things. Hockey, I just want to record though. So you said finish, Max said fragile, I say stunned. Boomer said incontinence, is that right? No, that's a completely different word there, Dave. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Incongruity, Dave. Yeah, a little different. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Thanks for the clarification. All right. Excellent. Next question also comes from the Plowboys Barbecue Inbox. This is from UT, and he says, A new coach goes to a school and is coached for 21 games. What one aspect of his coaching philosophy should be fully implemented by that time? 
Is your answer true for Frost? Boomer, I'm going to start with you. Uh, That's a good question, UT. I like that one. The one thing I would really like to see implemented, but for some reason we haven't yet, is players that are supposedly, you know, I don't know if the word is, if we want to say it's buy-in or the ones that are embracing what the coaching staff wants to do versus those that aren't. Uh, you know, whether it's effort, whether it's trying to understand the scheme, whether it's trying to play, you know, the roles or positions they want, why aren't they seeing the field as opposed to the others that are? I mean, if it's simply a question of freshmen or sophomores seeing the field versus juniors or seniors, well, if those juniors and seniors aren't getting the results you want and they're not embracing what you want to see, why play them? I mean, the end result might be the same if you're Playing underclassmen, you lose the game. Well, if the upperclassmen aren't going to do what you want, you're going to lose the game either way. Let's just get started now. You should know your players by now, what you have, what you don't. do. Are they going to mesh with our system? Are they not? And that's what I think we should be seeing more of, especially in these last three games. Dave? I'm stunned. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, no, it's a really tough question. I, don't, I really don't know. I've been racking my brain on this since I read that question uh, come through the inbox, and I, I don't know. There's culture, obviously. There's roster management. There's strength and conditioning. There'd be offensive, defensive schemes. What other things are you guys thinking about, like from a from a program standpoint, would be a, other options to think of? Yeah, the, one of the things I think about with Nebraska in particular and Frost as the head coach is toughness. I, I mean, I feel like that is mm-hmm. one of his top resiliency and toughness attitude. And is 21 games enough to get that in there? Probably not. Well, well, the last part of that question is, is the answer true for Frost? Are you seeing toughness out of this team that you would expect after 21 games? <clears throat> out of the team, no. But out of players, certain players, certainly yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, probably that's not enough to permeate through all the way. But I am seeing it in some of the young guys, and I like to see it out of those young guys. You know, Wandell's clearly a tough guy, right? And that's, you know, a guy who's going to be a star for us going forward. That's the kind of stuff I want to see throughout the team, a resiliency, a ability to fight late in the game. I haven't seen that yet. I certainly wouldn't say that's a team quality, but that's a characteristic I see in our, our coaching staff mm-hmm. that I'm not seeing on the how field. About, how about toughness, not just in the physical side, but what about the mental side? Think of Martinez as a quarterback right now. Martinez has shown physical toughness over the course of his two seasons here. He was injured at Mi- Michigan a year ago and played through it, and he's played through injuries. Right now, there's a mental toughness he has to play through. Because he's getting called out right now and on social media and all that. And this, these are the moments where you got to be able to just shut that stuff out. You know, I still have faith in Martinez. I absolutely do. But these are moments that, yeah, you know, you start to have a couple of rough spots and you're going to get a lot of people calling for you. And those are things that weren't happening just a month ago and two months ago. So there's a part of toughness. And some of that too depends on the situation you inherit. I mean, as we illustrated before, we've got a bunch of really young guys on this team right now so if we're trying to teach toughness that's like saying in 21 months that's basically saying are you expecting freshmen and sophomore to already have in the attitude yeah. and, and all the characteristics of that coaching staff i don't think that's reasonable but that doesn't mean we couldn't be winning games like we should have been winning this year so far yeah you know, one doesn't exclude the other yeah I, I think that's where i was struggling with this this question honk was that Every circumstance is so different, whether it's Willie Taggart or Chris Kleiman mm-hmm. or Scott Frost. I think it's really a tough to peg an, an answer because every situation is different and what you inherited really makes a difference. You know, we just got followed here on Instagram by angry Husker fans. I just saw that notification come up. So uh, 
Angry Husker fans is following us on Instagram. You can follow us too at, at Go Big Redcast. But why are they angry? But that's the <laughs> right there, just alone. You know, when you see that pop up, it's like you know there are people that are upset there. We get that. I think my answer to that would be it's kind of a scheme versus talent thing. You know, through twenty one games, I don't know that you can fix talent necessarily yet. Certainly, you can recruit a lot of guys. I mean, Frost has brought in a hundred guys between walk-ons and scholarship players in less than two years. But what I would expect after 21 games is I'd expect to see the the scheme implemented enough to where I feel like the scheme is going to be something that we can do two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, and we're going to be very successful with this scheme. I do think the jury is still out on that. We have enough people questioning, you know, three, four, or do we have enough big body guys out there? We're out there in four wide receiver shotgun Mm -hmm. sets and all that. I don't know that that's answered for me after 21 games that we have a scheme that is built to win in this conference. But that also doesn't mean that we're far away from it. I brought up to you guys over text, I brought up about like Lamar Jackson watching Baltimore this last weekend. And I'm like, some of the things I saw Baltimore doing in the NFL with a mobile quarterback and it didn't take much. It was bringing a fullback or a, a tight end H-back kind of guy into the backfield and and just doing one or two things. It was amazing how that offense could look a lot different. Mm. And there are things that I think that it's not a wholesale change. I don't think we have to make crazy, crazy schematic changes. But I think there are some things that we have to continue to adjust to be successful in this conference. Anyways, th- thank you very much, UT, for that question. Let's move on to kind of a roster recruiting question. This one comes from Springfield Nate and Pat on Facebook. Both of them kind of asked a question that had to deal with commits and the roster right now. And so the question was, at what point do we start to lose commits and the interest of recruits based off of our on-the-field product? Scott has already lost 11 of the 25 players from his 2018 recruiting class. So this is the question about, you know, hey, we're not doing very well right now in the field through the first two years, do we start to lose players? Do we start to lose recruits? Well, the 2018 class was thrown together um, with the Riley departure and, and some holdovers that Frost was able to keep on board and then threw things together really quickly there, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the first uh, December signing period. So am I shocked that that class is kind of not held together? Uh, not really. Uh, it's more the regime tra- change or transition. Sam McEwen had an article on this, I think today actually, right? Where he talks about these different types of classes. And it's the second class that usually is really where you're starting to just establish the the new culture and the new type of recruiting philosophy fully. And so that's more of the 2019 class and this 2020. Uh, I still feel like we have a lot of guys that are firmly committed to us for 2020 and then have some really big fish out there that we could reel in soon. And I think you can still sell playing time at this point. If, if you can't convince a, a wide receiver, like I think there's the Juco guy, Omar Manning, right, Mac? Yep. Um, or some other wide receivers that they could see immediate playing time next year just by watching the games. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to sell playing time to some guys that are hungry to play and come in right away. And so I, I don't think the 2020 class is lost by any means. If you would continue to see this in year three or four, then maybe you start to have impacts. But I think right now, I think we're totally fine. Honestly, even if we lost every game going forward, I don't think that would hurt a recruiting class that too terrible much this year. We're still sort of riding some of the momentum the staff had coming in. And on top of that, there's obviously a need. I think the guys that they're going after, they've 
they've isolated those guys as a culture fit. And I think culture fit guys tend to stick around regardless of the record if they see that you're building towards something. So here's the thing. All these questions are, are very reactionary to what our score or what our record is this year, which is, you know, far worse than what we were hoping for. But at the same time, none of what's happened has really caused any true alarm for me about where I think this program can go and what it's mm-hmm. building to. But Dave, I agree with you 100%. That 2018 class, not only was it a kind of a hodgepodge, but they were still trying to, you know, coach the Auburn game that year too. They were so, they were split so many ways. I'm not going to hold their, their feet to the fire for that one. All right. Well, uh, thank you there to Springfield Nate and Pat. Uh, let's move on to our good friends, Hus Guys. We interviewed them over the summertime. They had a question on Twitter. Summertime, which one of the sorry? <laughs> which one of the following broken aspects of our spirit murdering, heart stabbing, mind numbing program can be fixed the fastest, and why? Is it talent, coaching schemes, recruiting, development, strength and conditioning, coaching staff? Please save us. That's a very uh, you know full question with a lot in it. So I'm going to send that to Boomer first. And, uh, special Lord. teams. He didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say special. No, I didn't say special teams, did he? Or a jumbo steam statue. Darn it. I guess if you want to say which one can be changed the fastest, you can always make staff changes instantly. You can fire coordinators all you want and bring in somebody else. Now, whether that fixes things is a totally different story. And again, we're not calling for any changes or anything on the staff but if that's what you're asking for then yeah that that's the fastest thing and most immediate thing that can be done you know recruiting's a process that's tough that's a challenge that takes time you know schemes that takes time to implement what i really just want to say there are no quick fixes on this if you know if we're where we're at you know where we seem to be at as far as culture and scheme and players and depth and staff and strength and conditioning none of this is going to be fast and i i that's just reality Boomer, you mentioned on the last show about how a year ago, if we use Minnesota as a example here, mm-hmm. in year two of, of PJ Fleck, about this time in the year, in year two for them, they were not doing very well. Right. In fact, they just got blown out by us, and it was our first win of the Frost era. And they made a change. They made a change in the coaching staff, the defensive coordinator. We're not suggesting that. But what we're saying is, is that we're in the middle of a bye week, and we have three games, and there are things that you can do that you can make changes. You can make coaching changes. You can make scheme changes. You can make depth chart changes. We could start to see other guys play. Braxton Clark got on the field more last week. Chris Hickman got on the field last week. I mean, you can start to make immediate changes like that. Yeah. I think the strength and conditioning you're talking about, Boomer, I think they're absolutely on the right path with strength and conditioning. That part isn't immediate. That takes months and that takes, you know, off seasons. But they're obviously making progress. You know, we've already seen the strength and conditioning gains. I mean, there's no question. We're bigger, faster, stronger. So it's not translating on the field particularly, but like that's one area I feel culture-wise that shift has been made. Dave, what do you think? Well, uh, in classic Dave uh, fashion, I'll, I'll answer the question with a question to Mac. That's how we usually do things. Uh, uh, the the scheme thing is interesting to me in the sense uh, of all the things we just talked about. Uh, you know, the coaching staff can put the most time and effort and actually dollars, right? We're going to have more staff essentially in the off season breaking down what worked and what didn't work and all those type of things. But even in a, in a bye week, potentially tweak 
and, and I'm not saying like wholesale changes the scheme, but like maybe how you're coaching it or how you're implementing it or how you're calling plays uh, to best suit the, the talents that you may have. Uh, I'll, I'll reference the screen pass to Wanda Robinson, which has been the most broken down Nebraska play uh, on Twitter and elsewhere I've ever seen. It's a really quite extraordinary. The red zone offense that Frost had at UCF was really dynamic and actually very effective, but it wasn't necessarily power. And so I've seen somewhere where people were talking about how, like, last year, Frost red zone here in Nebraska was a little bit more vanilla. And this year, it's a little bit more like the UCF, but it's failed more often. Like, he's opened up the playbook in his red red zone offensive playbook uh, because that's what he wants to do. But I don't know if he has the team that actually can actually execute that offense. And there was a good example there where the play actually is, seems quite brilliant. I don't know if I would call it at uh, the three. Maybe it's more appropriate at the nine or the 15 or something like that because you have more space um, and depth to that field. But if Matt Farniak can make that block, Wondell walks in, right? I mean, so the execution doesn't always match the play calling. So it feels like if Frost and company could tweak their play calling and schemes to fit the strengths of this team, we could be better off in the red zone immediately. Am I wrong there? No, you're not wrong. And, and you know, that's one of those things with Frost you were kind of hoping you were you were going to see that go away because I would have made the same argument when Danny Langsdorf was calling plays for Tommy Armstrong. Yep. There are guys open. There are, there are plays to be had out there. If Tommy's just making that right read, if Tommy's just making that right throw, then that play works. And it's like, well, why can't we get, you know, as soon as we get a Tanner Lee in there, then that play starts clicking, you know. You're exactly right. That that little that little shovel plast to Wandell, I mean, schematically, timing, everything looked about perfect, except it didn't get executed right. So now maybe all week in practice it was executed perfectly and that, that play should have just waltzed right in. But at the same time, it's like, didn't it feel cute? Didn't it just kind of feel like an unnecessary, unnecessary frill at the goal line when, it, when it's, it's just as satisfying to just punch it in? When you're that close, just punch it in. And when we want to get cute, that's later on down the road when we're trying, when we're really established and flowing. This seemed like we're almost trying to scheme our guys into playmaking. And I don't, I don't yeah. want to do that. Put it in Mills hands and run it up the middle. We scored three touchdowns in that game. And Mills was on the field for every one of them. One of them, he ran it in from short yardage. And the other two, when Martinez ran them in, Mills was a part of the blocking, essentially, for it. Almost served as a fullback in that sense. But even the first touchdown that he ran, the play beforehand, Mondell runs it, gets tackled, gets hit in the backfield, doesn't make it any further, and gets tackled basically at the line of scrimmage. Now, at that point, I immediately, you know, in true honky fashion, I kind of blow up. I'm like, my God, get Mills out there. And Mac. Kind of calms me down and says, well, you know, I think we've gotten a little tempo and we probably tried to snap the ball with the personnel we had on the field at the time, which made sense. If Mills wasn't on the field, he wasn't going to be on the field for the next play. So that play doesn't work. They bring in Mills the next play and Mm -hmm. literally the same thing happens. A guy kind of comes clean, hits Mills basically in the backfield, but we saw the difference between Mills running a play up between the tackles and Wandell Mm -hmm. running between the tackles. Now, we all know what an unbelievable talent Wandell is. This is not an indictment on Wandell, but he's not going to be able to break that same tackle in between the tackles. I don't even know if we want him running that. I don't know if that's a yeah. hit we want him taking. I, I, and it does become a that's thing. That's where you struggle with with the philosophy, the identity, the play calling, yes. the personnel packages. Like I feel like 
that's pretty obvious. I feel like in a goal line situation, it should be Mills See, all the time. That's the and I struggle with going, even if I don't know what we're calling, even if I think, you know, well, if Farniak doesn't miss, well, I don't care. Put your best guys back there. That's for that the thing. Play. That's the thing. That shovel pass, when we say the execution wasn't there, Matt Farniak, the right tackle, misses a block. If he makes that block, it's a touchdown. Now, I'm not trying to call out Matt Farniak in a negative way. He's going to be a player for us next year, whether it's at right tackle or left guard or right guard. He's going to be a starter for us for another year, and he started for us for two years. Okay, It's not about him missing the play. It's more about the mentality of physicality that Frost has talked about all season. The physicality mentality would have been to just throw Mills in there and just run it over them because that's what you do. Could we have scored on that uh, shovel pass and been cute? Absolutely. We could have scored on it. That actually leads us to the next question. This comes from Husker Hype on Twitter. And he says, what do you make of Mills having no carries in the second half versus Indiana and only six carries versus Purdue? Five out of six goal line plays in the first half were passes. Is that lack of trust in the run game and the O-line? And he goes, regardless of the outcome, what do you want to see out of the Huskers versus Wisconsin? Mac, I'll start with you actually on this one here. We pass it five out of six times. If this was me, if we passed it five out of six times in the red zone and it would have been Langsdorf and Riley, I'd have been calling for people's heads, right? So why am I so cool and calm just because it's Frost? Well, I I can no longer even attempt to predict the running back rotation. So so I don't know why Mills wasn't in in the second half. I don't know why Robinson gets those carries at the goal line. I don't know why Ramir Johnson hasn't played. I don't know. On On the running back position side of things, your guess is as good as mine. What what do I want to see against Wisconsin? <laughs> field position, made field goals, and uh, getting off on third and over sixes. You know, if we could get <laughs> off on those. I have said so many things, though, the week prior that I'd like to see fixed, that I've seen fixed, and still result in losses. Well, that I don't even know what to say. Yeah, Boomer, you've called for all the right things of special teams and field position and turnovers. And we saw every one of those things almost go in our favor last week against Purdue, and we still managed to, to not win. <laughs> we had a defensive tackle make an interception. That's pretty amazing. I, it, it, it takes special effort almost to lose those kind of games when everything goes your way and, and you still lose. And I, I don't have great explanations anymore other than we're cursed by nefarious dark powers or something at this point. I, I don't have much else to go on. Yeah, Dave, what do you want to see against Wisconsin? I, I guess maybe – consistency might be the right word in the sense of of one of the accolades that Frost has received over his coaching career, both as a head coach and as a offensive coordinator is the unpredictability of his schemes, right? Uh, That was talked about very highly because it's very hard to predict what Frost is going to do, which we've now clearly seen in spades, but it, it maybe is too unpredictable at this point, right? That, that we, feel like there should be some more consistency on how you are, are choosing to move the ball in certain situations. And if, if we were just better at that, we wouldn't need to be so unpredictable, I guess, and surprising, right? I don't know. It's only a great play call if your team can execute it, right? I mean, regardless of how smart it was in that situation, if your team is incapable of making that play work, then it's all for naught. And that's what I feel like I see time and time again with this team is, oh, that might have been the perfect play call but we weren't a either good enough to get it done, yeah. or b we we didn't rep it enough to to make it crisp. I'll tell you what I want to see against Wisconsin. I want to see us match a team physically, and I don't. I think we've made amazing gains in the strength and conditioning. 
It hasn't turned into wins the way that we've wanted to, but we are stronger. We still have the seven defensive linemen that have squatted, you know, 800 pounds or whatever the heck those stats were and all that. I mean, we have big, tough, strong guys. I want to see us match a team physically. Best like version Wisconsin. of this team. The best version. I just want to see the best version of this 2019 Husker team. Win or lose, I want to see us stand them up. I said at the beginning of the season, I said when we play Iowa and Wisconsin, they may beat us, but it's not going to be the way they did a year ago. They're not going to push our defensive line back five yards. I think that's still the case. I haven't seen our D-line just get blown off the, the, the field in most of the games. I, I, Ohio State a bit. And, you know, people keep saying Minnesota, they blew us off the field. They didn't. They took us sideways. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't pushing us back the way Iowa did a year ago. So I just want to see no, us No, we're definitely physically. losing in different ways. Yeah, we're losing in different <laughs> ways. We're not filling. We're missing tackles. And there's a lot of it. Yeah, it, yeah. it is transitioned to the back seven now. We can find all kinds great. of ways to, to, to not win the game. I get that. But I don't want to see us physically beat by Wisconsin. I want to see us hold up for 60 minutes against them, at least in a physical nature. And then to that point, if we get down to the three-yard line against them, I don't want to see the same mistakes of trying to do the shovel pass. I want to see Dedrick Mills out there, and let's run his 225-pound body into the end zone. That's what I want to see against Wisconsin. Let's move over to an article that was posted the other day from the Orlando Sentinel from Mike Bianchi, and a a quote that he had, and he said, Frost actually inherited a better situation at UCF than he did at Nebraska. I know, I know, that may seem odd considering Frost took over a winless team at UCF, but he also took over a team that worked hard and bought in. So we had one of our followers, Mark, on Twitter. He said, that's the best take I've read, especially this. He goes, the problem is Frost, like Florida State's Willie Taggart, is coaching at a program where many fans are still living in the past. Should include the media in that line also. Dave, you know, are we just fools? Are we living in the past? Is that the problem right now? How is that the problem? I don't. How does that impact the the performance on the field? I don't understand that. I don't either. I mean that that we have expectations. I mean, I, I, we're not expecting 1990s dominance anytime soon. Maybe never. I mean, we just want competent football, and we think that this team should be able to deliver that. And they just, at times, you know, looked good, and at other times, uh, not so much. And unfortunately, it's been a, more of the the latter there so much that we've lost the last three games. So what you're saying is that you don't have to feel, if Redcasters out there, if you're struggling with this, that you think that we could be playing better, that we could have scored from the three-yard line all that, you don't have to feel like you're living in the past if you feel like getting the ball to your four-star 225-pound running back and running through a defense against a 2-6 and six team and just scoring a touchdown like you did the possession earlier, that's not living in the past. No. I mean, I feel like the Orlando columnist take was good. I mean, I, I think that people like to say that George O'Leary's team was 0-12 or whatever, but, you know, previous year they were, I don't know, they had a winning record and they were only a few years removed from a Fiesta Bowl. So it wasn't like it was a complete disaster. They just gave up on them that one last year. And so I get the idea that from a talent perspective and from a buy-in, et cetera, uh, some of those guys actually knew what winning was like, more so than some of our seniors who have had very little winning, actually, right? That's very legit there. We have guys, if you are four or five years into this program right now, it is hard to know what being a winner looks like right. if you're a player. UCF, look, nobody should ever take anything away from what Coach Frost did. 
if you take over a, a winless team and you turn them into a undefeated team in two seasons, you did an amazing job no matter what the circumstances were. And he did it with players that he brought in like Mackenzie Milton, like Mike Hughes. Sure. There were guys that had nothing to do with those wins that George O'Leary had two or three years prior. But having said that, did you have a team that accepted you quicker from a culture standpoint? Did you have a team that was more willing to, See, to I don't buy, buy in? That, I, don't, I don't know. I don't buy that at all. I don't know. I'm that, asking the question. Yeah, I don't buy that part because going into UCF, he had no cred as a head coach whatsoever. You know, coming into Nebraska as a head coach, not only did he have his undefeated Ooh, season at point. UCF, but he's also homegrown. He was also part of our last national championship. So I feel like the players bought in as hard as they could. I just feel like we might not have, and I'm not saying this as a, as a diss to our players or anything. We just, we lack a winning mentality within, within the culture of our players. And I, I don't know how else to say that, but we've got a lot of guys who want to be led. I think they want to be good, but they lack whatever that is to take it to the next level, you know, as, as team leaders and everything like they'll say everything right. They'll try to do everything right. But when the moment comes to it on the field, we're not making those plays. And, and that is what it is. And it's disappointing. And, and it was the, it, but that's the kind of stuff that leads you down the wrong path. Of expectation in the off season, and and we're seeing it, we're seeing it now. I mean, the, well, UCF was dealing with different kind of talent level, but the buy in is not something I'm willing to concede and say. Or UCF just had better buy in early on. I'm not buying that. Well, then, I, won't, I won't. I'm fine with that. Then let's move to a little different statement. Maybe not the buy in, but we have three games left. There is the four game redshirt rule, right? And most of these guys now can be playing the last three games and still redshirt. If you are somebody that has been along in this program long enough, and if you still, for whatever reason, if you're one of the guys Frost is talking about that isn't buying in or isn't doing the things right or whatever it is, you can pretty much leave your pads at the door right now, right? I mean, is there any reason with three games left in season two, should somebody be playing? If you're one of the guys that Coach Frost is talking about that isn't doing the things right, what is the reason for that guy to be playing anymore? Because now we don't have a depth issue as big these last three games. It's almost like instant depth. We have freshmen that we could start playing that we haven't been because of redshirting, but now we can play them. Yeah, I mean, some of our most valuable freshmen have already played two or three games, so they may only have one left. Sure. Johnson comes to mind um, and a few others. But there's others that have barely played at all. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there could be a lot more depth potentially there. I don't know if that will uh, play out that way or not, but it's possible. Yeah, I mean, there isn't a defensive back that's played a game that, as far as I know yet, the Noah Pullet Gates. Uh, Quentin Newsom, I think, is Maybe did. But, but, I mean, Newsom's played multiple games, actually. Uh, right, Fama, Javen Wrighton. Javon Wright. Yeah. yeah. You get to the linebackers. And- we've got Heinrich. We've got Snodgrass. We've got Jackson Hanna. Yeah. You get to the D line. You've got Ty Robinson. You've got Jakeem Green now. We have guys that can start to play across that whole defense. We Casey have Ben Rogers. Hart. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We have Ben Hart on offense. We have all the receivers. Chase. And Nance. Houston and Nance. We've got Ramir Johnson that at least has a maybe another game or two. I can't even tell you. I mean, he's played. He has one he's game He's played left. three. Okay. He's played three already. Wow, that's unreal. But the yeah. point is, we've got guys that can play. Hickman started getting into the field last week, yeah. too. So if you're one of the guys that Frost is calling out, honestly, you can put your, your pads down if you truly are not performing or yeah. buying in or whatever that is. That brings up a question, and I guess, you know, we kind of mentioned it earlier, and I guess if there's a criticism of the staff is, if guys aren't buying in, why are they playing? Why is the staff putting them out there then? I, I agree, Boomer. I feel like at this point, 
Uh, this many games in the year two, I, I frankly I was irritated to even hear that kind of talk. I'm like, a oh, lack of buy-in, a lack, you know, we're still trying to put this culture in. I'm like, uh, we're still talking about that. I mean, haven't you made practices and off season so difficult that the only guys left are the guys who are bought in? So I don't know. You're, you're right. Like, is it is it mid season lack of buy-in or are well, we Matt, fooled Matt, by does, something? Does that go back to UT's question about after 21 games, what one aspect of coaching philosophy should be implemented by this time? Is it the buy-in? Yeah. Because I mean, we're we're 21 games in, and we are hearing buy-in still yeah. as an issue. Yeah, I guess uh, football's changed. <laughs> football's changed. <laughs> Let's talk a little defense here, and. Uh, this is a pretty easy question considering who it's coming from. It's coming from uh, are the black shirts back yet on Twitter. And his mm. question, Boomer, is are the black shirts back yet? It's also brought to you in a big country by big country. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a big country dreams do stay with you. And we do have dreams of black shirts, you know, eventually coming back at some point. Uh, would I say they're back? No. I, we've seen flashes of what. They could be, uh, you know, again, this last week with Purdue. Yeah, they started okay. They kept Purdue, you know, in some three and outs to start that game. And then just, I don't know what happened somewhere in that second, third quarter. One of the worst rushing teams in the Big Ten suddenly could run the ball a little bit. And we couldn't get stops when needed and didn't happen. You know, Indiana was able to move the ball. They were very one-dimensional. They were able to pass on it. So if we're talking the old classic black shirts, just stuffing people down, no, that's not back. To your point there, Boomer, Mitch Sherman had a post on Twitter talking about how Nebraska has allowed 31 points or more in all nine road games under Frost and Shenander up to this point. It happened in no more than four straight road neutral games under Riley and never in more than in two straight under Pelini. So in all nine road games Nebraska has played up to this point, basically we have to score 32 or more points to win. So you're calling for Bo to come back as D coordinator, right? No, that is not correct either. <laughs> and the people that are calling for that, because Boomer, we were texting about that a little bit earlier, and that there actually is some weird underbelly of Husker fans that are calling for that. Do they not remember Melvin Gordon? Uh, this is why Twitter's talking. <laughs> I mean, for these people to even to, to it's like a to light the darkness with this one match. I'm like to talk about Pelini. As if that wasn't half of the issue of why he got fired was the public embarrassment of of traps up the middle. Yeah, yeah. Forget forget the sideline antics. The defense not was bubble getting, screens. Yeah, the traps. The defense was getting blown up by this conference. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for someone to sit there and go, "Well, we just need Pelini's defense in in the Big Ten. That will that will win." We've tried that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's finish with the last question here, and, and we're going to go back to Springfield Nate from the Plowboys Barbecue Inbox. Springfield Nate's been a great listener and follower of ours, and he's submitted a lot of questions to us over the the months now and the years, I guess. But he says, I'm only 23. I've never had any memories of truly dominant Husker football. I've only seen the steady decline over the years, and I no longer have any answers. Is Scott in danger of losing this locker room, or has he already? That's a a big one there. I don't know. I guess we're going to find out in these three games. Because, I mean, what we've actually seen the last couple of weeks, I I wouldn't say that it's already been lost, um, but the coaching staff has definitely tried to push different buttons to get the team to really start to play at a higher level. Um, You know, the practices is outside, et cetera, um, you know, and it hasn't really worked. And so here's another chance for a bye week um, to go behind closed doors and try to figure out another approach. Unfortunately, you've got some pretty difficult – 
uh, games uh, ahead here. Wisconsin starting off, so I think if if they somehow collapse in that game and just just absolutely check out, then yeah, I guess maybe he's lost them. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to happen completely. And so I, I'd like to think that he still has the has the locker room in place. And it, that better be the case because uh, you lose a locker room, it's hard to get it back. So I, I don't know what that would mean from the from the program perspective. Yeah, I truly appreciate you actually saying, I don't know, Dave. That's a good response to that question because none of us are in that locker room as far as I know. It'd be awesome to have that access, but we don't. And I think there's a lot of people on Twitter and on social media that think they have that access. That they'll be quick to say, it's been lost, he's lost the team, all these things. And I don't know that people really know that. In fact, I know they don't know that. They definitely don't know that. They definitely don't know that. I I think I see a team that's playing hard still, but they make mistakes. I see a team that they keep showing up every week and they they, they start games out strong, as we mentioned earlier. They're getting Mm -hmm. up on teams, but they don't know how to finish. I see a team that doesn't know how to take momentum from one side of the field to the other and maintain it. I'll give you, or even play to play. Well, I'll give you two examples of the momentum thing. And we know how big momentum is in football. Look at defense to offense last week against Purdue. Darian Daniels makes that interception. What an unbelievable play. And what a senior. I mean, I God love Darian Daniels. That guy's been playing his, his tail off. Makes that interception, takes it down to the three-yard line. You know, he goes on the sideline. I mean, this is one of those moments. The team is going nuts for the 300-pound guy who gets the interception. Oh, yeah. You have all the momentum in the world, and it doesn't translate to the offense. How about the end of the game when Martinez, who's been struggling, as we've mentioned, he runs into the end zone and gets that last touchdown, and he gets up and he's fired up. And my God, the team, we're going nuts. We got, I don't care that it's two and six Purdue. We, our quarterback has scored, and it's like, yes, get your defense out there on the field. And we allow a backup walk on Purdue quarterback to go six for six against us and go right down the field. We don't know how to translate momentum from one side to the next, but it's not equatable to saying that's a team giving up on your staff no. or, or, you know, or that the staff has lost the team. That's not what that feels like to me. Yeah, I don't feel like it's an issue of losing the team. I do think there might be some question about misjudging this team by the coaching staff and what they thought they had as leaders and what they thought they had as 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 playmakers on this team. I do feel That's like – and that to me is almost the most concerning thing about – this team this year is I truly think the coaches were caught off guard with what they were seeing in practice and how that would translate on the field. Are you more concerned by the team or are you more concerned by the coaching staff's misjudgment of what they had? <laughs> kind of both. I mean, I, I, I guess kind of actually more the coaches misjudging it because I feel like, boy, if you're seeing these guys in practice every day and you thought it should be this and what we're seeing on the field is this and you don't really have answers to why we're struggling this way. And you keep talking about Martinez not struggling when we all know he's struggled, yeah. you know, and this lack of identity and we're not some things like addressing the snaps and, and, and the center position. I'm like that maybe we should have made a bigger deal about this or I, I just feel like that to me is the most concerning thing about I don't think he lost this team I think he I think he had not as good a handle on this team uh, well I mean this actually aligns really well with everyone misjudging the team so I don't know you know from the national media perspective for example right I mean it's just down the list uh honky you, you played the clip where you have four or five voices there but it, you could have done that for 10 or 15 we mentioned it during the rapid reaction phil still urban meyer for goodness sakes everybody was like this team can win the big 10 west i'm predicting to win the big 10 west um and then 
uh, here we are at four and five. So how did everybody get this wrong? And these are guys that are smart football guys that went and saw practices and yep. know what they're seeing, and they have no bias on like, oh, I want to pick Nebraska because, right, they, they got fooled too. So I don't know if that's because they listened to the coaching staff really closely to Max Point, and the coaching staff was so high on the team, they just, you know, bought in from a verbal, like, praise, or, you know, it was a combination of that and the visual of these guys that are bigger, faster, stronger than they mm-hmm. have seen in the past uh, at, at previous Nebraska fall camps. It all adds up to like everybody was tricked, and again, it also adds up to the fact that they're probably not as bad as what they've looked. It's it's all these little things that have ended up just blowing the season up out of proportion. We're like the fire festival of the 2019 <laughs> football season. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like oh, you know, all these <laughs> investors great. buying in. It's like festival. this is going to be great, well, and it's like four wins. What? <laughs> Dave, Come you <laughs> Dave, you brought it up multiple times over the offseason how you mentioned Bruce Feldman was a national media guy who made it to campus multiple times. Oh, he's a big o- believer. Over the offseason, he's a big believer. And he's a cynic. So here's the thing. Tim Brando has done like 12 of our nine games so far. It's crazy. <laughs> it feels like it, and yes. Been 12 nothing, of our nine games. But he's been nothing. <laughs> he's been Math nothing is not hockey positive. strong suit, everybody. Yeah. So just go ahead and let that slide. But he's been nothing. Six of our seven losses. <laughs> but he's been nothing but positive about Frost and the direction of this. And we mentioned this four or five weeks ago, at the very least, was that you can start to change your expectations of this team, but maybe not the program. I don't know that Feldman, if you asked him honestly, if he feels any differently about the long-term trajectory of Nebraska right now. I think you're right, Hockey. Yeah, he I, I think he still feels that we can be everything he thought Frost can get us to be in year four and five and six, but clearly this team underperformed. At the end of the day, end of story. That's it. Coach Frost was, was right there back in August saying that the expectations in Lincoln have been far too low for far too long. I think he felt that this team would be better. It is underperformed. There, we've said it. It's I, out there. It I would took also us, say it took the, us an hour to get to it, but we've underperformed. I right? would also say the Big but, Ten as a general has overperformed in some ways, as, as, particularly pro- the West. Like Minnesota's better than maybe we thought. Yeah, and yet Wisconsin none of, was a little better than we thought. And yet none of that changes the fact that we've underperformed from what we could have been. No doubt. But if we thought we were just going to get better while other teams stayed the same, that didn't happen either. Those teams also got significantly better. Minnesota is a good example of that. Even even Wisconsin to some degree. I I mentioned something during our Purdue Rapid Reaction. If you listen to it, because I don't know if you guys actually listen to our shows, but if you listen to it, you'll notice I, I edited it out. I cut it out. And it was a point about apathy. I mentioned apathy a couple times, and then when I re-listened to it, I just said I, I edited that word out. I don't want to say it because I was wrong. I said apathy on Saturday because I felt that way. There, I don't sense apathy in Husker Nation right now. Mm. I think I'm experiencing Husker fatigue. I'm, I'm tired right now. The season seems like it's drug on. But, I mean, Dave, you mentioned that you went and watched the game at a Husker watch site that was packed out there in Denver. I mean – are you seeing any apathy right now in Husker Nation? Yeah, it's a great question. I guess it, it depends on how you define apathy because I think there's defense mechanisms out there, right? Um, that you start to expect a loss. Uh, you don't want to invest as much time into it. But I think so many people are still watching the games intently and um, are, are, are interested and hopeful that it's going to be a positive outcome. Apathy is when you just stop caring 
we're doing this podcast and we're getting questions. People still care. They care a lot. If they didn't care, they wouldn't be sending us in questions about how we're going to get this fixed or, uh, you know, why is this all going to change, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I would say Florida State fans aren't aren't experienced apathy either. They just want something better on the field than what Willie Taggart was delivering them, and they decided for better or worse, they felt they needed to make a change. We're not going to do that because we feel we have still have the right guy in place. But there's no apathy going on there whatsoever. So, Boomer, basically, Tennessee's the most apathetic program then, right? They still own that? Oh, yeah, Tennessee's terrible. I mean, yeah, <laughs> everything about them has just been a god-awful dumpster fire of a program. Uh, Arkansas might be close behind, but yeah. Where is Rutgers fall in this? Uh, Rutgers. Now that's, that's apathy right there. Rutgers. <laughs> See, they just don't care. Uh, you had to have an opinion at some point to ever fall into apathy. And I mean, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I believe, uh, tomorrow is actually the anniversary of the very first football game played, uh, you know, and that might be the high watermark of Rutgers football. So ever since. <laughs> it's been then, all downhill yeah, since. It's been all downhill Christmas. since, since tomorrow in 1869. So it's, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to say that now they're sliding to apathy. So yeah. All right, well, Dave, I think that probably concludes the the mailbag section here. Thank you to every Redcaster out there. We had other questions that came in, too, and really appreciate everyone that took the time to send them to us. Uh, this is a, It's always a good show for us. It, it's therapeutic for us to go through these questions, too. There are many of the same things that we've asked each other, and so I just appreciate everyone taking the time to send them to us, and, and this was a, a lot of fun, honestly, to do. Yeah, this is where the healing starts, folks. <laughs> uh, boy, do we need it. Uh, all right, Honk. Uh, well, I think it was a great show. Let's get out of here with uh, some parting shots. I presume you have multiple. Fire away. I only have one tonight, actually. I'm not going to even ta- I'm not going to talk about basketball. Maybe one of you guys will, but <laughs> I'll bring it up. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I just want to mention that the ESPN top ten greatest games of all time had Nebraska in game number one and number two. Number one was the, of course, the game of the century, 1971, one versus two, Nebraska versus Oklahoma. The greatest team of all time, also that was in an ESPN poll a couple, you know, a month or so back, was the 1971 Nebraska team. And the number two game was the 84 Orange Bowl, the two-point conversion game versus Miami. And uh, I think that's still – there's just a blue blood feeling that comes along with that. Yeah, we haven't been at our best the last 15 years and all that, but here we are still showing up in that poll, number one and number two. And I think somebody looked it up. Was Iowa anywhere on the top 150 games of all time? Somebody – I did not see Iowa listed once. So, Boomer, did, Iowa did not have a single game in the top 150. Is that correct? Th- that's shocking. Yeah, Iowa hasn't played 150 games as far as their fans know, so I wouldn't <laughs> worry. <laughs> shocking news. Uh, all right, uh, Mac, fire away. You know, Redcasters, we're down to our final. Th- it's crazy how fast the season's gone by. Uh, you know, we've got these last three games. Try to find your happy spot in all of them, folks. I mean, it's going to be a long off season. We're going to be warding ourselves off of, of preseason hype, I, I assume. You know, but you know, try to find your try to find your joy. You know, if you haven't made it to a certain relatives for a game, you know, get there. You know, you make your obligations <laughs> uh, and enjoy your bye week. All right, that's good advice, Boomer. Well, I just think one thing I want to remind all Redcasters is is don't get too wrapped up in defending one coaching staff or, you know, criticizing a prior coaching staff. 
we're all Nebraska fans. I mean, we don't sink or swim based on what one coach is going to do, what one coach doesn't do, what one coach did two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, whatever it was. You know, if for whatever reason, you know, our current regime doesn't get it done, well, we try again. That's what it's all about. I mean, there's a lot of teams that takes a long time to, to find the right guy to make things work. You know, we all want Frost to make this happen, and we're all going to give him a lot of time to make it happen. If it doesn't, you know, so be it. You know, that's what it is. And so don't get all bent up trying to prove a point at this point, whether it's to players or to other fans online. Just just enjoy the games. Enjoy the season for what it is. Be a fan of Nebraska, and let's just enjoy the sports of, of Nebraska. Boomer, I thought you sent a great text out on Saturday up to us, was that Coach Frost is just that. He's a coach. He's not a savior, and we are all guilty. I will point the thumb at myself. He is the only savior, the only person that can win at Nebraska, and if he can't, then it's, you know, it's it's all doom and gloom. And the reality is that's not true either. It, he needs to be held to the same standards any other coach could be. He's going to have plenty of time allotted to him, and that's only fair too. But if it doesn't work with him, it's not the end of the program either. But the point is that we all truly believe in the guy. We're going to give him every opportunity to, to get this thing done. I, we truly believe in him. I mean, I, I believe he's going to get it done. And I know that this guy, the biggest difference between any of the previous coaching staffs and, and Frost is I know when they're losing games, this hurts this guy deeply. And I guess I'm, I'm interested to see how he responds to really some of the first failure that he's had in the profession as a coach. This, I think he has to look at, at what's gone on through two seasons as failure by his standards. He hasn't experienced this as, as previous stops. So it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good approach to this. I mean, he's never had anything quite like you know two losing. He's never had a losing season. You know, really as a head coach, I guess first season at UCF. Did they go six and six or six and seven? Whatever. Six it was. and seven. They yeah, lost. Yeah, but their they bowl still game. made a bowl game. It was a step forward, and no one can honestly say he's had step forwards. I guess as a coach at this point. So, and that, and that's that's an important thing, and and that's one of the things we talked about when he was hired. It was a great. You know, it was a higher it, it was a good hire for Nebraska because he does get time that other coaches wouldn't have. I mean, we have to be honest. If this was, you know, random coach X and brought in the situation before an eight or potentially for an eight two seasons, it would be very hard for that coach in this situation. Scott Frost has more time than any other coach would have, and that's something that's important. We need some time to try to let a coach see what they can do here. You got to give a coach four years, five years to see what they can do. And that's a great advantage for Scott, and that's what we need to see happen here. And I think it's important, and just everyone needs to take a step back. Let that happen. If it doesn't, then we'll move on at that point. It's not the end of the world. You know, it happens to a lot of programs. Let's deal with it at that point. So, Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right, Boomer, in the sense that, that the Nebraska fan base is uh, far more durable than any one coach, and uh, we're still going to be here. And uh, we're not going to let the program slip. Um, as long as we keep on caring, uh, it's still going to be there. That's the key. All right, guys, good stuff. Um, speaking about programs and caring, uh, you know, the basketball program kicked off their season tonight. We won't do a full segment on it. Um, maybe we'll do one next week. But uh, it was a very rough start to the Fred Hoiberg era as uh, they were up 19-10 to 10 early in the first um, and then uh, promptly go on a somewhere around a forty-seven to twenty uh, uh, run on the UC uh, Riverside um, 
a ledger there to to lose uh, to a not a very good team. So uh, we'll we'll try to break some of that down next week. Uh, obviously, um, it's going to take time to get the culture in place there, and maybe some sh- three point shooting at the same time. But um, got to have faith in that one as well. All right, guys. Uh, for now, let's call that a go big red cast. Go big red. Culture change. <laughs>